Sometimes, growing up in an Indian, Indian family, uh, you just learn to tolerate certain things um, because your parents are just so influenced by Indian culture. And uh, my parents, they came over from India and they studied in the States, they went to university there. Uh, but there's just some things that you need to, that you just adapt to, if you will. Uh, so. Dinner at my house, uh, you know, classic Indian cuisine. We sit down to have tacos, and uh, when we have tacos, the best thing that I, like, I absolutely need to have sour cream on my tacos. Anybody else with me? And if I don't have sour cream on my tacos, one time it led to me and my wife having this like straight up yelling match. It was actually pretty pathetic on my part. But I need to have sour cream on my tacos. And if you live in an Indian house, uh, you know that uh, when you open the fridge, there's plenty of sour cream containers all over that fridge. But the thing about it is, as you open one sour cream container after the other, all you find in those sour cream containers are either chutney or curry. And uh, the two other brown guys in the room understand my pain right now. Uh, but if you don't, just come over to my house and I'll know what, uh, you know what I'll talk about. But uh, other than that, another thing that you need to learn to tolerate having Indian parents is that sometimes what they ask you to do is not always uh, logical. And uh, you just got to learn to accept that. So one time, uh, I was uh, getting picked up by my dad. Uh, and this is more true of my dad than my mom. And he came and picked us up after uh, high school one day. And uh, me and my buddies were coming over to my house for a sleepover. Um, and uh, we, we were going to uh, go skateboard and something like that. And we get into the car. And the first thing my dad says to me, he kind of like looks over to me and he's like, Ben, no guns. That's like, that's what he says. That was actually a horrible Indian accent, by the way. I'm probably the only brown guy that can't do an Indian accent. But anyways, he said, Ben, no guns. And I was like looking at him and I was like, what, is, what are we talking about right now? And my buddies are just laughing at him because of his accent. And I'm like looking at him and he says that again, Ben, no guns. And I'm like, what are we talking about? Nerf guns? Dad, just help me out here. Give me some context. I get home and I'm like, Mom, my dad said this to me. What is he talking about? And my, my mom said that he was watching the news before he came and picked us up. And apparently on the news, CNN or something, there was a school shooting. And so I love the heart behind it. He was actually encouraging me and my friends not to play with guns. <laughs> I don't know how he linked that in his head. But there's certain things that when it comes to living in an Indian home, you just learn uh, to tolerate. In the same way as young adults growing up in our culture, there are many things we have just learned to tolerate. There are many things that just, uh, we just, ideas that we've just accepted. And one of those things that I believe that we've just accepted, that we've just learned to tolerate, is greed. Greed. It's become so much like just part of the normal way we behave that we don't even recognize it anymore. Like a lot of us in this room tonight won't be like, yep, I'm greedy. Right? Like, probably a lot of you, when you saw us put up greed on social media or whatever, were like, oh, you know what, I'm not sure, maybe I'll skip this talk, because I don't think anything that's going to be said tonight might be applicable to me. Because it's hard to recognize in our own lives. At, like, face value, uh, we don't apply a lot of the ideas of greed, mostly because a lot of you... Maybe you're a student and you actually don't have that much money, right? You actually have a deficit of money. and You're like, okay, how can this possibly apply to me? But the reality is tonight, no matter where you are uh, in this culture, no matter if you have money or you don't have money, we're all susceptible to greed. 
And as we continue to become an authentic community of tight-knit relationships that live our lives to express, to make Jesus known wherever we're at, this is something that's really important that we need to kill, that we need to, to learn about in order for, to make sure that we don't operate in this way. Paul, um, he's actually, actually before we get to Paul, there's, there's a famous proverb, okay? It, it goes like this, the greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Okay, so we don't want disunity in this place. And even tonight, if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, if your friend just dragged you here, the thing that you need to know about the Proverbs are they're just pretty much wisdom statements that tell you how life works. So you need to process this even if you don't believe in God. Because here's the thing. It will help you live this life to the fullest. So with that, Paul writes to a community a lot like ours. And uh, it's, uh, in Ephesians 5.3, uh, he writes to the church of Ephesus. And he writes this. He's talking about Jesus' followers. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, what we talked about last week, or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. So he's writing to the church in Ephesus. Okay, it's a big city. Um, it's a city a lot like ours, full of business, commerce, and the arts. And what's happening is that these, this mindset, this behavior is seeping into the community, and Paul is trying to call it out. He's like, hey, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've put your faith in him, you don't act like this. And what he's actually doing, he's telling them and reminding them what they've been called to be. And that's the image of God. And so when he, he's writing to the Ephesians and he's saying like, hey, when it comes to any of these things, sexual immorality, uh, um, what was the other thing? Kind of, any kind of impurity or greed, there can't even be a hint Okay, there can't be even a small speck. You know, like when you're wearing a white t-shirt and all of a sudden you get mustard on it? That's what he's talking about. There can't even be a speck of mustard, not even a hint of greed. So just like that, our community, right, greed seeped, seeped into our mindset. And a lot of the times we just function and it's like almost a desire that drives a lot of us, right, to acquire more. And sometimes we don't even recognize it because of the way that we just live our lives on the daily and just we're bombarded with this idea of getting more all the time from TV to media to advertisements, you name it. Me and my wife, uh, we just were able to buy a house uh, t about two years ago. And we were super blessed uh, by a generous gift that we were able to put a down payment on this house right by the Bell Center. It's a two-bedroom townhouse. And um, just God was just working in crazy ways uh, in, in, as far as trying to acquire this house or how we got this house. And uh, just to give you a little bit, like, um, I, put, uh, I put an offer in, and my brother-in-law is my realtor. And he said, like, uh, the guy that was selling units said, like, hey, don't even bother. Uh, the developer will never accept this offer. It's just way too low. The next day, my brother-in-law calls me up. And he's like, oh, hey, developer said, yeah, your offer is good and you could buy the house. Uh, he says that you're his kid's youth pastor. And I was just like, I was like, what? <laughs> I had no idea. It was crazy. But that's just how God was working. And this developer that goes to Village, he was just super generous and just God just blessed us through him. But a couple weeks after we moved into the house, we had friends over for dinner. And we were sitting there and we were talking. And we started talking about our five-year plan. And we started talking about, uh, in a way, that this house that we just moved into wasn't, like, big enough or wasn't good enough. And that maybe five years from now, we'd move into a bigger house. And after my friends left for dinner, 
I just stopped for a second. And I was like, wow, how quickly did I move from being thankful that God would provide in this way to thinking like, okay, this, is, this, this isn't enough. I need to have more. I need to have a bigger house. That's greed. See, it just slips in there. And just so we're all on the same page, this is what greed is, okay? Greed is an inordinate desire, an excessive love for wealth, possessions, for money, and the things money can buy. So even self-esteem, security, status, power, any of those things. See, what we really need to do tonight is work the idea out of our minds that when we talk about greed, we're just talking about money. It's not just money. Okay, even if you don't have a lot of money, you need to realize when the rest of the world thinks about a rich person, you pop into their head. A North American. No matter where you find yourself on the spectrum of wealth, we're wealthy. We're rich. We're probably the richest people on this earth. Because everybody in this room tonight probably has at least the basic needs in their life met plus more. So don't tune out. The question that you need to be asking yourself if you want to know if you're a greedy person is this encompassing question. That is there any part of my life where I desire to have more? Is there any part of my life where I desire to have more? Because... An example from my own life, okay, so because God's been convicting of this in my life left and right as I was preparing this talk. And uh, one, one example, you guys know from a couple weeks ago that I like shoes, okay? And so at my house, I got tons of shoes. And I was <laughs> prepping this message, and I realized that I got some shoes in my house that I've only worn once. But the crazy thing is, even though I have shoes in my house that I've only worn once, I still have this desire to buy more shoes. That's greed. And I don't even realize it, you know, like scrolling through nicekicks.com, trying to see when the next Jordans would release. Like, I'm not thinking, wow, I'm greedy in this moment. But that's how it works its way into our lives. We've been trained and conditioned to want more. It's how our economy functions. Consumerism. Consumerism is just a euphemism for greed. And the idea that's infected us as young adults uh, that feeds the consumer culture is uh, this idea that sociologists call the rom romantic ethic. And I'm going to explain this to you for a second, and it's going to be a little bit like sociology uh, 101, but stick with me, okay? It's going to really help you understand why we behave the way we do, okay? So this romantic ethic comes from this movement called romanticism. And if you don't know what romanticism is, it's just this movement from the 1800s, okay? And it's pretty much this ideology that moved us from the empirical or logic or science to the emotions, to experiences. And what it has done, the romantic ethic embedded in our culture, has trained us to emphasize intuition and uh, pleasure and seeking new experiences. That's what it emphasizes. And it emphasizes it in a way in our culture when it comes to consumer goods that we as young adults think that when we go after a consumer good of any sort, some way, somehow, subconsciously, that we think that this thing, whatever it is, will bring about some sort of authenticity to our lives, maybe even a sliver of identity, if you will. And so this is how the idea plays out, okay? Example, I don't know if any of you guys have done this. I've done this once, sadly. Uh, but 
when a new iPhone comes out, okay? Has anybody went and stood in line overnight to be the first one to buy whatever the iPhone? I think the time that I did it, it was like the iPhone 4 or whatever. Okay, anybody done that before? Okay, so you stand in line for this thing, this iPhone, this device that somehow, somewhere you think, uh, subconsciously obviously, that it's going to bring some meaning to your life. It's going to give you some authenticity, like you're going to be the only one on the block with this new iPhone 4S. So you stand in line overnight, whatever, sleep on the sidewalk till you get it. But here's the thing about these consumer goods, these new things, whatever it may be, okay? You get this thing, and what happens? After a while... The newness, the novelty of the item wears off, right? And you begin to realize, in this case, the old iPhone is just like your old other iPhone. So your new iPhone is just like your old iPhone, just with a slimmer body and, quote, unquote, a better camera. And you're like, okay, that was great. Why did I stand in line in the pouring rain for this stupid thing? But then what happens is as that newness wears off, what happens? All of a sudden, this desire to have more, to have the next gadget or that next new thing starts to make its way into to your heart again, into your mind again, as soon as you see a commercial or an advertisement or whatever. And that product, if you will, you're, st you're, st you're stuck in this cycle, okay? Because this romantic ethic says, oh, you have to go after this new thing, this new experience to gain pleasure or whatever or fulfillment. This is the cycle that we've been trained to repeat in our culture because of the values that we're fed by in culture that are influenced by this romantic ethic. That's how greed has slipped into our lives. Some of you, you, you think like this. I know I thought like this. I even have been trapped in this cycle where it's led me into debt in my life. And the crazy thing is, some of us, if we don't take a deep look into our lives, will go on just carrying out, trying to grab these things, to go after these new devices. And it might not even be a device. Maybe it's a, a new relationship. Maybe it's a new job that will make you more money. Maybe it's a new house, as I said, or a new car. Whatever that thing is, we've just been trained. And our, our culture celebrates that you find fulfillment and happiness in these things. And you go on carrying your life, trying to acquire more. That, 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 that's greed. And you live your way in this, you live your life in this way where you're never ever going to find fulfillment. We know this. Just look at the people in Hollywood that have almost everything fame, popularity, security, money. What happens? A lot of them are just bored to death. That's actually a quote that I heard from uh, GQ magazine when they were interviewing Brad Pitt just recently. And he's like, hey, how, it was pretty much my paraphrase hey, how's it being famous? He's like, oh, it's kind of boring. Isn't that crazy? But we got to think about this for a second because if we continue to uh, function in this way of greed, it's, it's going to wreck us. We're never going to find fulfillment. And see, this is the problem with greed. An author writes this, greed, when it comes to being a Christian, is a misplaced craving in the heart. It's actually a good desire gone wrong. God made us to have and to hold, to desire possessions and things as his creatures. But get this, in fitting relationship to him, the problem of greed is not that we desire things. See, things in itself are not bad things. It's fine to have nice shoes. It's fine to have a nice car. That's fine. But it's, the problem is that these desires are misdirected and out of order, out of proportion. 
As believers, Paul says that there can't be even a hint of greed in our lives because he says these are improper for God's holy people. Because greed, no matter what the object is, be it money, possessions, travel, experience, self-esteem, security, status, power, is evidence that you don't actually trust God. You actually haven't put your faith in him. Your security, your worth, your fulfillment, everything is actually in that thing, no matter what it is. And this is what happens. Whatever that thing is in your life that you're pursuing, that you're trying to acquire more of, that thing is actually your God. It's, when, it's what you actually get your sense of security from, your sense of fulfillment, your identity from, your purpose from. It's what the Bible calls idolatry. If anything that you and I tend to set up as the big thing, the central thing in our lives, the thing about which we think and dream, the thing that engages our imaginations, the thing that we live for, the thing that gives us the biggest thrill, if that is anything other than God, that's idolatry. If you're a believer in the room tonight, you need to realize that. You need to let that sink in for a second. And... If you say you're a follower of Jesus, right, you put your trust in him, you put your faith in him, you realize and believe that just at the right time God sent his son to live and to die and to rise again, to give us new life, to give us eternal life. How can you go after this thing? How can you make this object, whatever it is, a God in your life? How contradictory is that to that belief that you just confessed? And I know every one of us in this room hate this. As young adults, we hate this. If we tend to live like this, we become hypocrites. I was just talking to a young adult in our community uh, just the other week, and uh, he was a new believer, and he stopped coming to this community because he looked around, and he just saw so many people that weren't living out what they believed. And he's going to be coming back. But the sad thing is it's, it has to do with our witness as Jesus followers, and sometimes we don't realize the way that we behave is actually evidence of what we actually believe. Where you spend your time, how you spend your money. So, not only does greed just embed ourselves in the way that we act, but the core of this sin, okay, the core of sin of greed is selfishness. It's self-indulgence. It cultivates an attitude where you're just looking out for yourself. And just to help you guys really grasp this, okay, let's look at time, okay? Time is money, right? As they say. And we're all on this search to get back more time. Hence why, have any of you guys heard about the four-hour work week? That book is like super popular. And I actually did the Cole's note of that book. But what's that book all about? It's, it's to get back time, right? And it's not time to go and serve at your local charity or go help somebody in need. No, it's time to do the things that you want to do in life, right? Like go camping on the weekend or whatever. Go down to Squamish and go hiking. Whatever that is, whatever, that's, that's, that's great. But that's what those books are for, right? And so think about time, okay? Um, this is where my selfishness really comes to light. Uh, a young adult last week, he texted me. Okay, and he was in uh, around uh, here for uh, probably a couple days or so, and it was last night before he left uh, to go back to where he was. And I, I'm super proud of this guy. Uh, he was one of my youth kids, and now he's a missionary in another country. And I really want to hang out with him, but he texted me and he's like, "Hey, he, he wanted to go to uh, the club 
you know, Cactus Club. And uh, so uh, I was like, hey, he texted me, and I was, just, I was just in bed, okay? I was just about to binge watch something on Netflix. And when he texted me in that moment, I really was like, oh, my gosh. I don't want to go and hang out with this dude because this is my time, right? I'd have to get my pants on. I'd have to grab my keys. I'd have to go get in my car, maybe even do my hair. I don't know, and then go hang out with him. But my conscience kicked in, and I went and hung out with him at 9 o'clock. And this is the crazy thing. That conversation that I had with him was probably the most encouraging conversation that I had that week. And eventually it kind of led to us talking about baptism. And he wanted to get baptized. And there wasn't a place to do it right then and there. It was like 11 o'clock. But uh, we will do it when he comes back. And the thing is, though, even in my selfishness, like God used me. And as followers of Jesus, we need to realize that God wants to use us. And I was writing this message. I felt like God gave me this impression. And it was that, like, oh, that if I could put it into words, it was that, like, God wants to use each and every one of you in this room tonight. And he's just, he's just wishing that your selfishness, my selfishness, wouldn't get in the way of that happening. Because we need to realize that people are dying around us, people. Sometimes we, we just go by and when greed takes over and this selfishness takes over, we kind of, it kind of blinds us to the needs of others around us. And the thing is, there's people dying without hope. And we have hope in the person of Jesus that we need to share. And some of us are just so busy in acquiring more things that we forget about this. Jesus called you to share the gospel, this good news, this hope with your coworker, with your friend. With that person that you've known ever since high school that hasn't given their life to Jesus yet. To your cousin. And what are you going to do? Are you going to continue living your life in this cycle? Just this other day, uh, me and um, Dan Gillis, he's the guy that uh, runs a coffee. Let's give it up for him for a second. He's training up coffee, people. Ladies, uh, he's single. Single ladies. Actually, John Saldana actually told me that apparently every guy in this room tonight is single if you're here at the collective. But <laughs> thanks, John, for that. But uh, anyways, what was I saying? Oh yeah, this guy he walked into um, he walked into hey we need more couples at the collective so tell your fr- couple friends to show up. Um, th- okay, no, no, this woman walked into work. Okay, and me and Dan were late one night. Uh, uh, we were both working on talks. And uh, a woman from our church actually invited her upstairs to come and use the bathroom, okay? And she used the bathroom, and she was there with her baby. And uh, what happened was that simple act, okay, that, that simple act, this woman who was coming to the ministry center probably for like a prayer night or something like that, invited her upstairs. That simple act led this woman to start asking about her church, start asking about service times, and so she came and found me and Dan, the woman that goes to Village, and we found a brochure um, that w- had their service times and stuff like that. And uh, I went and gave it to her, and I talked to her for a second, and uh, it was really funny. The, the woman that goes to church introduced me as one of the pastors at Village Church, and I, I believe that it was very strategic because this woman was brown. And I was like, okay, I understand what's going on here. <laughs> 
but she 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 asked this. It was crazy. Okay, so think about this. She just got invited upstairs to go to the bathroom to use the bathroom because she needed to, and she comes out, and the simple act leads her to asking questions. And you know what she asked this woman? She asked this woman, "What's the difference? What differentiates Christianity from all other religions?" And that woman, in that moment, she just answered with the gospel, and it was just this beautiful thing. But I was just thinking about this. How many people have walked by me this week, and I haven't noticed them because I'm just so into me, so into what I need to get done? When it comes to time, that I'm so busy that I don't have room for others. See, when it comes to Ephesians 5.1, like Paul's talking about greed. He's talking about not having there be even a hint. And here's the reason, okay? The reason is that greed is actually the underlying sin of all sins. In 1 Timothy 6.10, he says, the love of money, okay, greed in some sense, is a root of all kinds of evil. The kind of heart that finds contentment in money and not in God, explains a pastor by the name of John Piper. He says, is the kind of heart that produces all other kinds of evil. And just to really give you a visual to what kind of evil comes out of us trying to acquire more and more and more, um, take a look at this video for a sec. Paul writes uh, in Ephesians 5, 1, the verse right before here, he says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly, lo dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Like it or not, uh, you take on the characteristics of the family that you were born into. Uh, even though that <laughs> how I lived my life was to make sure that didn't happen. I found myself just talking to my kids uh, the other day, and I said something exactly the same thing that my dad used to say to me. And I was like, oh, dang, I'm, I'm, I'm my dad. I've become my dad. 
in, in the same way, what Paul's talking about here when he says follow the example of your father, follow the example of God, is that we need to follow his example that he showed us, that, the way of love. See, the thing about love, it, it's a commitment to serve the interests of others. That's what Paul's talking about. And when we look at the example that Jesus showed us, it was the ultimate example of self-denial. And it was shown to us on the cross where he went and he took our sins and he died for the sins of the world, where he took the wrath of God upon himself so that me and you can have access to the God of the universe, that we could call ourselves children of God, that we could call God Father. See, the antidote to greed is a realization, a revelation of that good news. It's the silver bullet, if you will, to kill greed in your lives. And we need to reflect on that. We need to repeat it and preach it to ourselves daily in order for us to not get stuck in that cycle of always going after more and more and more. And here's the thing. Unless that becomes a reality in your life, I don't know what else is a solution. If the gospel doesn't move you to live your life for others, I don't, I don't have a solution for you. See, when it comes to thinking about Jesus, when it comes to replacing this desire, this, uh, this desire to have more, we need to replace it with a desire to love Jesus in a posture of gratitude, putting what he wants us to do first, putting others' interests before our own. That's why in verse 4 of this just same chapter, Paul says, but rather thanksgiving. After listing a bunch of acts that we shouldn't do, he says, but rather thanksgiving. He just explained the gospel a couple chapters, right? And he talked about this new life that we have. And therefore, he says, be thankful for that new life. Live in that new life. Put, put off the old, put on the new. Because honestly, what Jesus did for us is everything. It's the ultimate thing. And until you find your ultimate pleasure and contentment in Jesus, the greatest possession... You'll never see those other things as nothing, as not even worth pursuing, as things that can't bring you fulfillment, as things that can't bring you happiness. And here's how you know if the gospel has become a reality in your life. Generosity is second nature to you. That's how you know the gospel has become a reality in your life. That has actually gripped your heart and your mind. Generosity is second nature to you. And a quick test right now, if you're not sure, how much do you tip, even when it's bad service? How much do you tip? Tonight, you know, I, I, want, I want to leave you with hope as we end tonight. You know, if you struggle with greed or right now the Holy Spirit's just kind of shining light on different areas of your life that maybe you're functioning in this way, even if that thing, whatever it is, that object has become a God in your life, you know, and you're serving it and being unfaithful to God. And you need to realize this. When, when you're unfaithful to God, it's like a woman who's married who doesn't find contentment in her husband anymore. So she goes to a bar to find contentment and fulfillment and happiness in the bed of another man. That's the unfaithfulness that we're talking about. When you make something else a God. This is what the hope is. Even when we're not faithful, God is faithful. 
And I want to leave you with this excerpt from my uh, devotion. Uh, and it's Paul Tripp. He's a pastor in the States. And it's all about the heart of God. It's all about his faithfulness. And I want to just read this to you guys and just let these words hit you. He never regrets his promises. He never grows bored or weary. He doesn't get mad with us and debate with himself as to whether he should walk away. He never lounges through a lazy, self-centered day. He never withdraws his commitment to us because he has his eye on another. He never makes a promise he doesn't intend to keep. His love isn't a passing fancy. He never threatens to withdraw his love in order to get his own way. He never keeps a record of wrongs against us so that he can use it against something for us that he wants. He's never disloyal beyond, behind our backs. He's completely faithful in the fullest sense of what that means. And here's what's important to understand. His faithfulness has nothing to do or is never a demonstration of how you're doing, how well you're doing. No, it's a revelation of how completely holy, righteous, and kind and merciful God is. So tonight, where do you find yourself? You know, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, this God, this faithful God, is calling you into relationship to, with him tonight. How are you going to respond? Let's stand up and let me pray for you guys as we go into a time of worship. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're in this place tonight, and we pray that you would just convict us of sin, God, convict us in ways that we have just operated in greed in our lives, and I pray that you would pour out the love of Jesus into our hearts, God, that it would remove this sin, God, that it would just give us this sense, this mindset, this attitude that we would live our lives for others, God that the gospel would just catch fire in our hearts so that we could go out of this place and share this good news, share this hope that we have. We thank you, God, that you're, you're patient with us no matter what we do, no matter how many times we sin. But I pray, God, that in this place that we wouldn't abuse your grace. That after, God, that we deal with our sin, we just get other people in our lives to hold us accountable, God that we would just change the way that we behave, that we function, that we would discard and just trash any mindset, God, that, that's not godly, that shouldn't be in a follower of Jesus, God. And I know that that can only be done through your spirit, God, as we, we look into your word, God. So I pray in this place tonight that you would just be renewing minds, God. And if there's anybody far away from you tonight, God, no matter what position they're in, I pray that you would call them into your family tonight, God. I pray that they would move from death to life. And I pray as we sing these songs of the truth of the gospel, God, that it would just hit us in a fresh way. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.